Hello, wide, wide world. This is Brian Courtney with the Short Bus Debate Club. And as always, I am here with Darren Jolly. Hello. Um, so we had a listener send a text message recently, and he was talking about the, uh, the slave revolt that we discussed. And he mentioned Haiti and their revolt. And yeah, they they definitely won. And in modern times, they're really the only ones that won. Um, I I just wanted to mention a couple of things regarding that. You know, it was right after the Paris Treaty, so France had just gotten beat up by Great Britain. Um, right after that, the Louisiana Purchase happened. Um, you know, so at that point. Napoleon was saying, fuck it, I'm getting out of the Western Hemisphere. Now, what exactly that means, you know, that's something that everybody's got to kind of decide on their own and, and do their own research. But a lot of shit happened, and that, that revolution took 13 years before they got their independence. So just imagine how much France plundered Haiti while they were fighting the slaves. Maybe continue to and you know i i don't want to do a whole episode right now on on revolution i know we could um but darren's got a couple of things that he wanted to mention from previous episodes and then we will talk about what the fuck are we going to talk about oh yeah the state's protection of its people and our children. And I don't have any children. I think they're little fucking diseases, but whatever. Delicate as always, Brian. Delicate <laughs> as always. So like, these, these are corrections in some instances. Some just, we, we're kind of like always tangent city. So we start on something. We kind of go over here. We veer around. We're going to do this for a long time, though. So we're going to keep wrapping back into the thoughts that we have. But when we started the episode on uh, struggle, we're talking about suffrage. Um, sometimes, like, because we're from the, the States, we, we, we focus a lot on what it is that's happened here. But, I mean, uh, suffrage from, from a female point of view has, has been brutal. I mean, I was listening to something the other day. I started thinking about the suffragettes in England at the beginning of the, ninth, uh, the, 20th, the 20th century. Um, so just don't want to dismiss the fact that uh, the struggles that have been existing uh you know, in the United States are obviously things that exist throughout throughout the world as well. And also, um, uh, the Assange stuff. So when I said that he was a resident of Sweden, he, he actually, that was kind of a, a tricky thing. So he's always been an Australian citizen. He, he had, I think, applied for residency. He was denied residency. Um, and of course, it was an incredibly political thing. It was when all those charges were levied against him by the state of Sweden, which were eventually dropped. Um, he did have Ecuadorian citizenship from 2018 to 2021, and as soon as their president, who, who essentially got elected through uh, American money, U.S. money, um, through like USAID and all those uh, democracy promotion sort of spaces, um, when he was elected, uh, he the court pulled uh, Assange's resident, I mean his uh, citizenship, but he still only maintains Australian citizenship. So my point about uh, the U.S. charging him when he has no uh, citizenship in the U.S. or any uh, responsibilities to the U.S. as a state still still kind of stands. Um, 
I did find some a little thing on Bernie Sanders' corporate money stuff, but I need to dig on that a little bit more. And and oddly enough, it was AOC who suggested that, that he took corporate money, but I'll do a little bit more homework on that, and we'll come back to it. Um, for fun stuff, uh, the black, black umbrella conspiracy stuff, that was uh, that was out of the it, it got popularized during the JFK assassination. Um, if you if you're you know really bored and you need to look up something. Oh, you mean not the uranium thing that we launched into that dude's leg, but no, no, it I, was the JFK grassy knoll black umbrella. Well, anytime you're talking about conspiracy, anything that resembles it always gets affiliated with it. So when they, I, I did find something that, that that sort of talks about you know all these. And they, they right, but we used an umbrella to kill that guy. I know, in 78. <laughs> but like I said, so the, 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 the notion of that conspiracy goes it goes back into like when uh, uh, the, the labor, labor stuff. And, and the, the J, there's, there's the moment in the JFK assassination where there's this guy with an umbrella and he opens the umbrella. And it was this yeah. communication thing. Um, but again, like conspiracy, I don't know. It's just one of those things that if you're curious about it, you can go into it. Um, and uh, have a little bit of have a little bit of fun with it. And this last one is just just a point that I want to make uh, to be sure. When when we were talking about um, uh, the beginning of the United States and access to to democracy, and I just this is really just a point that I want to make. A lot of people idealize the beginning of the United States, and what you're idealizing is an idea, right? The beginning of the United States was was tough. You know, it, everybody did not have access to democracy. You, you, it was a very specific group of people that, that had it, and, and the vast majority of people did not. And in the episode that we were talking about this, it was during the, the that 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 suffer, you know, the the struggle and the suffering, the suffering concepts like uh, sacrifice. Sacrifice. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. Um, the real democracy that we we have. The, I mean, the point that Brian continually makes. Is that we have these tools that are at our at our fingertips. The important thing to remember is that even at the beginning of this experiment that we call democracy in the United States, those tools were not they were they were there as an idea, but they were not there in practice. It was through that kind of sacrifice that these things have sort of uh, emerged. Now, the point that I always make because I'm always critical of everything is that we need to you know and and and, and I think that we we pretty much agree on that is that we do need to continue to build on the tools so that we can continue to make make the world a better place but uh when people idealize things it's bullshit well and i think everybody idealizes something um you know it's it's romantic notions it's hoping for the best whatever but you know joe pesci in that movie where he was a bum in harvard um yeah great film yeah so he said that the power of the Constitution is that it can be changed. Yeah. And that is true. I mean, those guys were just a bunch of aristocrats. They were rich landowners. You know, most of our population didn't fucking know how to read, let alone write. Um, so you can bet your ass they were not participating in voting assembly or anything else. Um they were participating in the revolution part, but that's because you always have plebes doing that kind of shit, right? Um, but that is the power, is that it can be changed. But the only way we can change it is by using those tools that we were talking about. And, and I don't want to harp on that. I don't want to beat a dead horse. But we've got to do more in order 
to change that constitution. That's the only reason why I bring it up, because if you hold it to this space that existed in, you know, whatever you think was happening in 1776, I mean, you look at some Boston Tea Party and you think that that's, you know, or, you know, these guys sitting together in a room talking about like how to have, you know, uh, bicameral congresses and three-part government and balance of power and all that stuff. The, it, if, if you folk, it becomes pathological at some point in time because you're not really understanding that you have to keep doing that in, in, in the moment that you're doing it and you have to continue to revolutionize the way that you're, 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 you're going through that process so that you're more effective, so that you can create better outcomes for everyone. So well, and a lot of those changes were created. I mean, you know, the three-fifths of man thing, no more black people can vote, right? Women can vote now because those changes... Again, I, I'm not beating a dead horse. You guys know what the fuck I'm talking about. I'll digress. But why do we still have a document that says three fifths <laughs> Maybe we need to write a new constitution. Whatever. Okay, isn't, there you go. Isn't There's it, a can of worms. Isn't it struck through? <laughs> struck through? Yeah. What I say? No, I said, isn't it struck through? Aren't there lines through the three-fifths thing? Sometimes I think you just got to... I mean, maybe not. I don't know. You could do it the way that the British people do it to where it becomes a collection of papers at some point in time. But this is the, when I say pathological, that's, you know, people that hang on to this document as if it was, you know, I mean, it, you know, the irony of, of the, the Joe Pesci comment is, is that you, you, you believe something can change, but then you hold on to the thing in its present in, in its originally created form. I mean, there's something that's, that's sort of devastatingly ironic about that on, on some level, I think. I mean, I'm not saying you do away with it. Uh, you need to know where your mistakes are, so you you hold on to those spaces. But I th I think at some point in time, if the way that you originally did it was needs to be revised so completely, maybe you know, maybe you think about sitting down and having a new constitutional convention or something like that. So maybe that's a topic for an entirely different show. Indeed. So because I have a feeling we could talk about that for a long time. And days and days. All right. So. Okay. So you're. Corrections. Safe and Yeah, we're done. Okay. Right. So, uh, last week, or not last week, last episode, episode five, we were talking about education. Um, and basically, you know, education, at least K through 12, the parents are giving up some notion of control. They're saying, okay, you guys are the state. You've agreed to educate my kids. You're going to protect my kids while they're being educated. So here, here are my kids. Now, that's great. And even for as worthless as the education system is, I think that we do need to be educated. Um, the problem that I've got is that since the kids or since the parents have said, here, here are my kids, you get them between seven and two or eight and three or whatever it is. Um, the state has gone beyond that and said, we're going to protect your kids all the time. And they create all of these laws. You can't smoke unless you're 18. You can't drink unless you're 21. Um, now, because of all of the problems with smoking, they have these fucking stupid little nicotine patches and like different flavors, cinnamon and peppermint, whatever. Um, melon, stupid shit, right? They're the kind of things that I just want to tell these guys, 
you know, smoke or don't, or let your balls drop or something. Don't be sucking on a fucking thing that tastes like citrus. But anyway, they, they're even, you know, making it to where you've got to be 18 to get these stupid fucking nicotine things that you suck on. Oh, is it 21? Yeah. Sorry. My, my bad. You got to be 21 to suck on a fucking melon flavored rag. Um, so how, cause I, I'm not a parent. Like I said, I think that children are just little adults and I fucking hate it, most adults. Um, which by uh, extension means that he hates most children as well. <laughs> they just happen to be, it's a, ge- it's a geography thing, right? Like a so, right? so at what point as a parent, do you get some of that back or do you just expect the state to tell your kids what they can and can't do? And don't anybody go stupid on us right here. Like Brian's not saying the state doesn't need to have laws, right? I mean, you know, if, if, yeah, they've done a bang up job stopping murder and rape and pedophilia. Well, nice job. <laughs> but but you wouldn't argue that you don't. I mean, you 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 have laws for things like that. You, you, I mean, and, and maybe if you weren't spending all your time fucking around with these other things, then maybe you could spend it dealing with these other things that are more right central to allowing a society to feel protected and, and, and being able to produce reproduce it, itself. But uh, it is very curious how. Um, we get so hyper focused on these very odd um, spaces of it's like these these perceived moral spaces, you know. And maybe it's because parents don't, you know, they they work so much they don't feel like they have the time that they can do these things to pay attention to their kids. But I'm, I'm going to say something incredible, con- incredibly controversial right now. But <clears throat> when my daughter was uh, not 21. She came to me, um, like in my estimation, a mature adult, and she said, uh, "I would really like to smoke marijuana. Mm-hmm. Can I smoke? Can I smoke marijuana?" Um, and uh, I looked at her, and she said, "You know that I could have gone and smoked weed with any of my friends. I could have done this." She was so pragmatic about the way that she addressed this question to me when she brought it. Um, and as a, as a person who, like I said, Brian and I came from a different sensibility when we were younger. We 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 were involved in different things. Uh, we both definitely partook in a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Um, but uh, we had to do it uh, under the cover of black market spaces where um, we were getting away with it without our parents knowing it about anything that we were we were doing. Um, but I quit smoking weed when I was 19. I just got bored with it. My brain started falling on my ear. It just wasn't my thing. So I quit doing it. Right. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do when you grow. Right. Um, but because I'm a person who believes that there's value in experience, there's value in learning. Um, I'm not a hypocrite. Right. So when my kid came to me and asked me that question, I was like, uh, well, she's not my biological daughter. I'm still essentially her dad, but at the same time, I said, you gotta go talk to your mom, right? She went and talked to her mom. Her mom said, uh, uh, if you do it, Darren, Darren's in control of everything. So um, she came to me then, and I said, there are three ground rules, right? You take care of business first, every day. Uh, you take care of your homework, you take care of your responsibilities. I said, the second thing is, is that um, 
what you partake in, you only partake in that I give to you because I don't trust kids. They're getting it from black market spaces. Uh, I mean, with all the stuff that's been going on over the course of the last decade uh, with regards to fentanyl, I don't want I don't want you know you to get something that could hurt you, right? And uh, <laughs> yeah, don't don't smoke anything laced with whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, bad bad news. Um, I can't remember the third thing. It'll come back to me later. Um, but the, the, the important point is, is that she was smart about the way that she did it. She took care of her business. Right. Um, so, uh, oh, so, uh, I, I went and got it and came back home and, uh, she's always been good about it. She's smart about it. She's thoughtful about it. She doesn't, you know, I mean, and, and, and it seems like as, as, as parents, like why are why why does the state need to be this 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 in, intermediary? What is I mean what I mean is it is is it is it money? You know I mean that's part of it for sure. Uh, is it because I mean what else? I mean what is? I I think it's again just being able to control these people. It's being able to generate fines for those that don't do whatever it is they're going to do. You know it's it's bad news. Um. Because they, one, are not controlling it. Um, kids are still smoking weed and doing drugs. Um, they're still drinking. They're still smoking cigarettes. And I'm pretty sure they're sucking on those fucking nicotine rags. Um, so the state hasn't really done anything. I think they may have created a couple of revenue streams through fines and they've satiated some parent groups that are out there because, you know, we need to outlaw this because kids are ODing and we need to stop this because kids are hurting themselves. Um, you know, if I had a kid, I wouldn't care if they did bath salts or heroin or whatever, because I'm the one that's supposed to tell them not to do it, not the state. And sadly enough, if they just let everything go and, you know, just taxed everything with a sales tax and legalized all of these drugs, they could replace those revenue streams where instead of being punitive, it's just taxation, you know, and they don't do it. Um, you know, a few kids or a few people, more than a few, I know, but really in the grand scheme of things, not that many people are overdosing on oxycodone or, or opiates. I think fentanyl has been pretty bad lately, dude. Well, but fentanyl is that manufactured shit. And I know that oxycodone is also man manufactured, but it's, it's actually manufactured to the point of the the opiate part of it is man-made as opposed to where oxycodone they take opiates and then you know spin it and make a pill the fentanyl is manufactured from nothing I, I mean, they don't use poppy for fentanyl, right? It's completely I, I, manufactured. I, 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 I'm not certain, certain to be sure. I know it's in the family, though. I mean, 
think it is. I, I, I got to say, I'm, I'm going to draw the line on bath salts, though. I don't, I don't really want my kid to take bath salts, dude. Well, but that's the point, is that you're the one that should be telling them not to take bath salts. Well, that's why, I mean, that's why I bring up the example in the first place of why I did the things the way that I did them. Because I want my daughter to be smart, you know? And, I mean, when you talk about all these different things, um, like, you, you, you brought up the, uh, um, the disposable uh, nicotine cartridges, Um like, how odd is it that, that this has suddenly become a big thing right now? Like, nicotine, yes, is addictive, right? I'm not certain that nicotine itself, other than the fact that it's addictive, does anything really, really bad to you. I mean, what what was causing people problems in relation to nicotine historically was, you know, carcinogens and cigarettes and whatnot. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying go, I mean, I smoked cigarettes for 30 years. I rolled cigarettes for a long, long time. But I made the choice at some point in time to quit doing that. Um, but having said that, it's odd that the current administration would take such a heavy hand coming after this thing. And again, like, well, why? I mean, what, what, what is it about these? Well, and that's, that's why I was saying, I think to some degree it's them creating a revenue stream, but I think a lot of it is to satiate these parental groups that are saying you need to protect my children. When the vast majority of parents, I don't think they want the state to tell their kids what to do. I mean, you know, back, not only were they doing it with cigarettes back when we were in high school, but they were doing it with music. The state was saying, well, you shouldn't watch this movie and you shouldn't listen to this and whatever. Tipper. Tipper Gore. Yeah. Fucking retard. Um it, it was out of control, and now they have all of these ratings on video games and music and whatever because of these parental groups. But those, you know, you know how they, you know how the, who, when they had those who really helped to like open up the the First Amendment side of that that again, you know who actually went because you remember they had those uh, uh, the congressional hearings. It was had, the like, dude from Twisted Sister, D. Snyder. Snyder. But it wasn't just D. Snyder. So like they had Frank Zappa, but Frank Zappa's he's head too much he was never john denver oddly enough a person who never wrote a you know dirty song ever darn it you know i mean that's all you get out of john denver whatever i'm sorry so these these groups that uh so fentanyl is a synthetic opioid synthetic opioid okay okay so again i don't know if you can consider it in the same family the dea does they consider it an opioid even though it's synthetic but my point is is that you warned your kid and said, well, you don't want it to be laced with this or, you know, don't smoke formaldehyde weed or whatever, right? <laughs> don't smoke weed that smells like fucking diesel because it was in a truck that's the, being well, smuggled. That's the formaldehyde thing. That's like a, like a PCP alternative, isn't it? Something like that. Well, they dip joints in it. I know I smoked one of them and it wasn't very pleasant, but I did a lot of stupid shit to get high. I mean, you can just get stuff off of the shelves at the local grocery store if you want. The stuff you... Uh, Dramamine. Yeah, Dramamine for travel sickness. Take an entire fucking box of that shit. <laughs> <laughs> So, him saying that, is there, does anybody see any irony in that? You know, I mean, is there, is there, is there a measure by, they took Marazine off the, the shelves of it, didn't they? I don't know. I don't think that, I haven't seen Marazine in a while for a long time. But I know Dramamine is still there. Um, so, my point is, is that the state, no matter how hard they try, they can't really protect your kids. So, you need to do the protection. 
And I guess another point is that these stupid parental groups that lobby the government to do whatever, they're trying to get rid of Kratom, they're trying to get rid of, you know, pills. And so now, like, my sister, who's in pain constantly, can't get her prescription because the government says she doesn't meet the criteria. Um, my aunt got her prescription cut back because, again, they're trying to protect not only kids, but they're trying to protect you. These are people with real physical ailments that are not getting a, a, a bottle of 120 10, 10 milligram Percocets and then pounding them in five days. These are people that that had prescriptions and then would use them as needed throughout the course of a month to to, to maintain because their body was shitting the bed on them, and they're just trying to trying to survive. So sorry. And no, but that's, I mean, so obviously they need it, but even if they didn't need it, they should be able to get it. It is not up to someone else to tell me what I can do. I just, I'm going to play, I just want to play devil's advocate a, a, a little bit, right? And I, because I, I agree with your overall fundamental point, but the, the opioid crisis is, is real. Like suicide levels in relation to people that are taking high levels of this stuff is, I mean, it's higher than it's ever been in history with regards to drug overdoses. Okay, so we need to create a law that says don't don't, don't be sarcastic. I'm I'm giving you I'm asking you a question. Like honestly, like if, if, if this is a real problem, like it, it, and it's a social ill. Like how do you, I mean? There's there has to be you have to negotiate it some some way. So obviously, I'm a big proponent for legalizing everything. Yeah. So if we did legalize everything. In my opinion, because of money created through taxes, we could create other things, you know, more rehab centers. We could have people that had home treatment in case they were overdosing. You know, there are lots of things that we could do to where people wouldn't die. It is also my opinion that if we did that and we made things more that's the word I'm looking for, um, available to people that maybe, just maybe, certain drugs and their usage would be cut back by certain people. I'm not saying on the overall, you know, grand number, but, you know, person A might decide, well, fuck it, I've been taking these for too long, I'm done. And person B might say, Fuck it, I like it. I'm going to do it even if it kills me. But the point is, either of them should have that choice. I'm going to rehab because it's available to me, or I'm going to do it until it kills me. The state shouldn't be able to tell them one way or the other. This this gets real tricky, though. Like, I mean, I, I like I, you know, I remember there was a Michael Moore uh, movie that came out where he went and he looked at por Portugal really closely. And the Portugal system is one that's been very... Uh, People recognize it as being very effective, but I just had a, a good friend. I mean, of course, sorry guys, uh, some of the shit that you're going to hear out of us is anecdotal because I don't have, I, I, I work, you know, 50 hours a week, so I don't have time to sit around and read everything, but uh, I have a friend that just came in town a couple weeks ago from Sweden and, uh, well, she came from, she lives in Colombia, but she's originally from Sweden. Her mom still lives in Sweden, so she goes up there uh, pretty regularly and Sweden completely liberalized their drug policy and 
now there are people that are like dying on the, the streets. All I mean, like, I, I I like the spirit of what you're saying, but you, I mean, it, it's not something that just comes out of nowhere because you have to like if you're going to have this this financial space, you have to like I I like the idea of um, clean injection sites. Right? Well, there's a difference between decriminalization yeah, and right. legalization. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's that, that that's true. Because decriminalization just says fuck it, go ahead and do it, and they're not making any money off of the sale and or use of said drug. Legalization means we can tax it to whatever degree. But you still have to have a, like, like if you're gonna if you're gonna say you're gonna have these things in place so that you can make it better. I mean, they're not just gonna 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 come out of nowhere. So I, I actually I agree with you on the, the legal, and I didn't mean yes, you're right. I, I was I was conflating two things that are very very different things. Decriminalization, decriminalization is not the same thing as legalization. Um, but uh, because San Francisco decriminalized it, yeah. and now there's fucking homeless people all over in the yeah. BART stations yeah. laying in their puke and yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah, that's different. <laughs> I, I, I got that. Yeah, you don't, you don't, I acknowledge that. You don't have to repeat a point. I so, really so, wanted to repeat I got that. Yeah, I, I, I noticed that. Most but but having said that, yeah. <laughs> but uh, having said that, um, I think it's. I think it'd be important at the beginning to just like, Spend a good amount of time figuring out how to approach those questions. Like it's one thing to say that you can tax something, but you have to have a plan, you know, with regards to how you're going to structure that space. Um, and I don't think that it's going to be complete or perfect at the beginning, but there are some good examples. And I don't know exactly whether or not what exactly the Sweden situation is. I just know that uh, when I when I talked to my friend about it, she said that there were there that it was a, it was not it, it wasn't it doesn't have the same stigma that. Portugal there, there is another thing that it would fix. Okay, so maybe it wouldn't fix the ale. No, I'm not going to use that word. Maybe it wouldn't fix the current drug problems that we have. So maybe it wouldn't fix the overdoses, and maybe it wouldn't fix, you know, people going to rehab, and maybe none of those things would be fixed. But one thing that it would do is it would decriminalize it to where our prisons aren't full of fucking people that are just doing drugs. Not hurting anybody. Right? And two, it would do something similar to what happened at the end of Prohibition. Now, Al Capone isn't shooting a bunch of people on Valentine's Day. You know, all of these gangsters aren't shooting each other over turf. The cartel loses a lot of its power because now drugs are legal. So maybe they're not fucking hanging heads off of bridges as a warning to another cartel. And people aren't dying from fentanyl overdoses because you're actually having drugs that are being produced through through a space that's safe. Right, and people aren't blowing themselves up yeah. making meth. Making meth, yeah. You know, there's a lot of things that it would fix. Um, now, one of the main arguments that people use when talking about legalization of drugs is that crime is going to go up because they're going to start breaking into houses to buy drugs and they're going to start stealing stuff and selling it. Well, I hate to break it to you dumb fuckers. If they're going to steal it, they're already doing it. But I, I would wonder whether or not during Prohibition, if they weren't making similar arguments, 
about liquor and relation to that kind of stuff, too. Well, they were making a lot of stupid arguments during Prohibition, too. Like, you know, it makes white women sleep with black guys. Um, and they made those same arguments with weed. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> if, you, if you've never looked at the reformative stuff, like you go back and like we, I mean you, you can be proud of your history on some levels, but we should just be downright fucking embarrassed about some of it. And that is one moment where the stupid shit, the propaganda that was being produced, justified the legalization, the illegalization of marijuana, was just so. It was beyond obnoxious. I mean, it was just, it was just out. I mean, like we were, we we're just dumb socially during that time period. You know, so I know you've traveled quite a bit throughout the United States and, and the world to some degree, but here in the United States, like when I went to St. Louis, Missouri, they had just gotten off of the number one, the, the top 10 list for murder rates. Um, Chicago, when I was there, they were in number one. I went through uh, Camden, New Jersey. They were number one for several years um, because of the murder rates. And when we're talking about these murder rates, we're not talking just about somebody who got in an argument and, and murdered somebody or caught their wife cheating or whatever. It's, it's, it's gangbanger stuff. It's stuff to control the drug trade in a certain area. And... That would go away. I mean, who knows? They might find another reason to shoot each other, but I don't think they would be doing it on the level that they're doing it. Yeah, I, 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 of, of course, you're, you're right. I, I tell you, I'm going to get anecdotal again for a second. When we lived down at Second Santa Fe, that was a tough area during that time period. It's not quite the same right now. No, now it's a bunch of fucking yuppies. But I, 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 I had moved out, and uh, one of the kids that we had lived down there, we were, and we were, we were some, you know, a, a lot of weed and maybe some other psychedelics a little bit here and there. But uh, um, one night, uh, my buddy was coming home with his with his lady friend and their dog, and uh, their dog Snoop Dogg was his name. Uh, ran inside the house barking, da, 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 just going crazy, right? And so my buddy, he, he pulls out, because uh, it was a tough area, he had a gun, you know, so he pulled out his gun, and uh, um, we we lived in this warehouse. It was, it was like five, broken up into four or five units, and the, the ceiling was open. So literally, like, you could kind of hear other people's places. I mean, it was kind of a, a ghetto space. It was cool, you know, it was like one of those, you know, artsy spaces that artsy people went to, um, and then eventually it got gentrified, you know, but uh, uh, either way, uh, this guy was shimmying up uh, this line to go up through over the top. And my, my buddy at that time was he was growing weed. And uh, um, he says to the individual, he says, what, are you, what are you doing? Come back down here. And he's got the gun on him and he pulls him down. And uh, um where this, this story resolves is the truth. I'm, I'm not joking. So um, he says, what are you doing? My buddy says, what are you doing to the guy that was illegally in, in, in the in the unit? And uh, he says, well, I could smell what was going on over here. And he says, it's none of your fucking business. He says, go back out the way you came in. And next time when I come in, I'm going to 
I'm gonna let my and it, the dog was a chow and she's got a bitch. No no pun intended. I mean she whooped the motherfucker's ass. He said I'm gonna let I'm gonna let the dog go go on you and uh, she's gonna chew you up. So uh, the guy went back out the way that he came in, <clears throat> and uh, the next day there was a tag on the side of the house, and uh, oddly enough. Uh, this kid ends up stopping my buddy on the side of the street. We don't know how they found out about this, but uh, he said, uh, uh, we know what happened at your house last night. My buddy's like, what do you, what do you mean you know what, what happened at my house last night? He said, just understand that we know what happened at your house last night, and we appreciate that while you guys have been conducting business the way you've been conducting business, you haven't tried to get involved in any of ours. You're not trying to sell to anybody in the neighborhood. You know, you do your thing, we do our thing, because you know what the outcome would be if you if you tried to step over that boundary. And my buddy said, yeah, of course. Um, and he said, well, we just want you to know that should anything happen again, you tell us. We don't want you to to deal with it. We'll take care of the uh, the heavy work for you guys. So and that, that was, was nice of them. It, it, but I mean, you're you're of course you're right. You know, I mean. Black markets, when it comes to uh, <clears throat> things like <clears throat> drugs, always lend themselves to things like that. If you open it up, then people have to reinvent the way that they're going to – you can't go sell drugs and shoot people, you know. No, but I mean – and then at that point, you know, maybe secondary and tertiary markets come in and, and you know, you're doing a little bit of bookie stuff. You're doing some prostitution stuff. But then you're in a situation where now, again, you're dealing with the big families, you're dealing with the Italians, you know, you're dealing with the cartels. Um, and then you got to start worrying about human trafficking and shit like that. So, I mean, there's always going to be a black market where these people can make money. Um, but I don't think I've ever heard of somebody shooting someone else over horror territory um but maybe there has been some sort of big hooker gang fight i don't know <laughs> since you brought up the fact that i've traveled when we went to chengdu in china chengdu is china is the chinese sex trade capital and uh because i don't know anything about what's going on there i can't say for sure but I have a sneaky suspicion that if you if you started to freelance in an area like that, um, you would be either invited to join or you would be removed from the marketplace altogether. And that's possible. I mean, you know, if you're if that's the way you made money, you don't have any other way to do it. Then you know maybe there would be some big thing. I don't know. But you, your bigger point's right. I mean, ultimately, if you if you if you legalize drugs and you 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 create a space where you can collect taxes and you create this sort of like other market like legitimate marketplace in relation to it you're not going to make all these other spaces dry up but you are going to you're going to neutralize a really really big one that's for sure and you're going to solve a ton of other problems in the meantime and you might create some other ones too but <clears throat> well they're they're problems for us but you know the the war on drugs ends so hopefully the militarization of our police forces goes away <laughs> Um, there's not as many people in prison, so, you know, hopefully we can start to re-educate the population as opposed to just, 
you know, keeping them in cages. Um, it also leaves more room for the ones that are actually doing bad shit, you know, murderers, rapists, pedophiles, you know, even somebody that, that did a, a burglary needs to be in prison for a, a short amount of time, but 25 fucking years for having some pills or some heroin is fucking wrong. And this is all again, because of lobbies and legislation. So we've got, you know, these private prisons that are making a bunch of money off of it. We've got senators and congressmen that are making a bunch of money off of drugs being illegal. Um, not to mention, you know, if they're in the right neighborhood and they are of the right mindset, cops are making lots and lots of fucking money off of it. This is this is where when the original question that you asked becomes so difficult because the political economy of prisons, the political economy of uh, private military spaces, the political economy of like 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 you were sort of suggesting, you know, we will let you uh, function in these spaces. As police officers, as long as you're giving us the, a, a little a little taste, and, and and the sad thing about that is is that maybe a person gets motivated to want to have their children protected because their daughter went to a rave and you know took some ecstasy and it was laced with fentanyl and they ended up dying. But what ends up happening is these these places that are making just money hand over fist off of off of all these policies that you're talking about, exploit the loss of this, of this individual. And I feel, I feel for you, you know, I really do. And I'm not just saying that because I'm trying to check a box. Like I, I can't, I can't imagine losing a child over, over, over something like this. But at the, at the moment where you, you sort of like try to draw the state in to solve these problems, my God, I mean, what what what's the outcome? I mean, prison is a business. I mean, prisons like you're you're not going to see anybody inside of the existing policy community ever acknowledge uh, a positive disposition towards either decriminalizing or legalizing drugs because of the amounts of money that are tied to the prison system right now. I mean, this is like. It's staggering. It's it's sad. It's pathetic. Because it, it's it, it, like like all of the the real moments where something bad happens, where somebody really did lose someone or lose something that you can never have back, is just being used as a tool to help make it. And again, markets, profit, whatever. You know, I mean, I'm not your traditional Marxist. We'll, we'll be talking about that for a hundred years. But uh, having said that. Um, Gross, dude. Well, and sadly, what happens, you know, is that this parent that lost his kid to a kratom overdose, which I fucking think is so stupid. I think there were five of them in eight years. And when they pulled them, there were always ancillary. Yeah. Right. So they, they lose a kid to kratom, and all of a sudden, you know, there's these people saying pull kratom. The same thing with the the oxys or or Percocets that happened. Um. But I think, and I'm a cynic for sure, I think I'm a realist more than a cynic, but 
one of the things that happens is that these people start seeing some fame and they end up on television shows doing interviews and they're doing this and that and this and that. And all of a sudden they've got their own lobby. And so now they're making money off of their pain. Think about that. that I mean, you're using the memory of your dead child as a way of creating a market. And don't stand in front of me and give me this bullshit like you're doing it for them. You, you, it's become a job for you, you know? And you, you, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm sure you still have this part of yourself that, that, that you know, the loss is real. But you become a divided self at that point. And there's the, there's the part of you that really did lose something. But there's the part of you that's become a part of the problem at that point in time. And in my opinion, more of you is the problem than the pain. Or, depending on how you look at it, you're my fucking pain. Which is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, the, and we kind of touched on it. And, and I think, you know, we should do an episode on, on drug policy and, and on the prison industrial complex. But we're coming up close to that, that 45 minute mark. Um, I, I know regarding this topic, I've said most of what I wanted to say without repeating myself. And that is that, you know, again, (laughs) if our prisons are full of people that are using drugs and you use drugs and you want to continue using drugs and not end up in jail, then you've got to do something to make that change. And that was me beating a dead horse one more time. You going to wrap anything up? You want to say something? You're just going to go silent for a bit? No, no. We we, we went super tangent city. You know, I mean, there's a lot more that we need to talk to at some point, uh, talk about at some point in time with regards to the role of the state, like how we see the state as an institution. Because... When the state as an institution is gets gets bogged down in these ridiculous spaces where they become subjugated to these uh, to lobbying spaces, you know, uh, where I mean, this the state can't. I mean, we we just got to be smarter about these things. We got to think about these things a little bit more. Hey, what's our phone number again, dude? Seven two zero three three four. Roll. Okay, you know where to reach us. We're also on Twitter. You can find us on um, TikTok. And just keep in mind, I do have a face for radio. Um, <laughs> you can say that again. <laughs> we, we will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Later.